But I want to continue to talk about exposing and defeating the enemy. You know, this is the week of, of what the world would call the devil's day. But we don't give it to him. Amen. Amen. That's why we have a harvest fest. I was telling Brian and Christina that that's, that's why I, I want to just go out on record that I, and I can say the word hate because it's in the Bible. I hate Halloween. I hate everything about it. I hate, I hate what it is. But we do uh, the harvest fest because we're not going to give the devil a day. When someone says that's the devil's day and we don't do anything on that day, we don't have a, an activity, then we're saying, yeah, that's the devil's day. Let's give him a day. I'm not, we're not going to give the day a day, devil a day or an hour or a second or a minute. Amen. Every day is the Lord. The Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we're light. And we are going to be light that day, amen. And we're going to we're going to bring kids in, and we're going to love on them, and we're going to have them have fun, and we're going to pass out tracts, and we're going to tell them about Jesus, and we're going to be light on that day, amen. There's a lot of religious folks that don't like that. They want us to go into a closet and pray. We can pray, but we're not going to give the devil that day. But I do hate Halloween. I don't like it. I don't like all the the dumb costumes people wear. So you got to realize that a costume, a kid dressing up, is not a sin. It's what they do sometimes and how they dress up. Amen. There's nothing wrong with a kid dressing up. That's fun. And there's nothing wrong with candy. Can you say amen? amen. So we're going to have candy and kids can dress up. It's when you dress certain ways, obviously, that makes it wrong. And uh, I, was, I was noticing we, my daughter had a concert last night. And, uh, you know, she dressed up as thing one and thing two, whatever that is. I don't know what that is, but it was not, it was cute. There you go. Thank you. Dr. Seuss. Well, some of you, all you with kids know who that is, right? I don't know. So she dressed up like that. And, uh, but half the choir was dressed with torn clothes and blood all over them. I don't understand what people's infatua infatuation is with blood. But the reason is because they don't realize that blood's real. And that happens, amen? That's one of the reasons I don't like it is because people don't understand that the darkness that happens not only on Halloween, but all year long from the satanic church and from the occult is real. It's real. And so we need to realize that tonight, but we're, we're exposed the enemy for what he is. And then I, me and Dwayne play basketball at MLK, which is the rec center. And now I know why our kids are so messed up. Went in there Monday to play basketball and, and had to walk through hell to get to the basketball court. Am I lying? You walk in the door, and there's a girl over there, a little kid, demonic looking in a swing. I don't even know what she looks like. Uh, what, I, what was it called? Chucky, like Chucky's sister, hanging in a swing. And then you go by to get into the gym, and there's a dead dude in a bathtub with blood all over him. And they're going to bring these kids into this thing on Friday or whenever they're going to do it. We wonder why our kids are so messed up. They don't need to see that stuff. And we got one of the guys that plays with us, a police officer. I said, I'd like to take these people that did this and these kids with you to a crime scene. And let them see that and realize that this is real. Amen? So we need to understand that what the devil does is he tries to desensitize us with these things. He tries to, to make it, you know, fun. And I understand all of us, were grow, we grew up in different places, in different ways we grew up. Some of you never celebrated Halloween. Some of you celebrated it. Some of you grew up liking horror movies. Some of you grew up not liking. There's all kinds of different haunted houses and all kinds of things that we grew up different ways. 
But now as believers, we need to understand what's behind everything that the devil does. And that's not just the time of Halloween or, or things like that, but, but that, the, that the devil uses. I was telling someone today, I want you to understand something. The devil has to have an, an object to cling to. You, reckon, you realize that? Jesus is spirit and in truth, but the devil to operate has to have an object to operate in. A, a quick example of that is when, when Jesus went to the man at the Gadarenes in Mark 6, and that man was going to have the demons cast out of him. He said, how many? He said, what is your name? He said, I am Legion. Now, Legion means that man had at least 2,000 demons. At least 2,000 demons. He said, I am Legion, for we are many. And so Jesus, we know the story, cast him out. But before he cast them out, those demons said to Jesus, put us in the pigs. Because the demons, when they come out of one place, they have to go to another place. They have to possess something. They have to have an object. And so I kind of want to get that in your mind tonight, that, that we can allow things or ourselves sometimes to be that object. And I want you just to write that down. I'll explain a little bit more in a second. The object of our affection. Okay, the object of our affection. If you have, if you have a cross in your house and it's on the wall, and you worship that cross, that's wrong. That's idolatry, even though it's a cross. If you have a picture of Jesus on the wall and you worship that picture, that's idolatry. I don't care if it's Jesus because we don't worship objects. We worship Jesus. And the Bible says we worship in him spirit and in truth. Amen. And so I don't need and you don't need and we don't need something visible to be able to see Jesus because we know who he is and we know what he did and we know that the cross is the object of our love but not the physical actual cross okay that's just the symbol of what Jesus did on the cross for us and we know and many of us have come out of that we know that many religions and churches and things they put too much emphasis on things and so people grow up looking and loving and worshiping an object instead of Jesus himself Amen? It would be almost like you that are married, being married and loving your wife's or your husband's ring more than you love them. Amen. That's a symbol of who, of your affection to them. But if you say, man, I, I love my wife's ring and you love your wife's ring more than you love your wife, something's wrong with that. The ring is a symbol of our love and it's a symbol of being married. But I don't love my wedding ring. I love my wife. So I don't love the cross on my wall, and I don't have any, by the way, but I love Jesus. Does that make sense? And so we feel like we always have to have something. And if you don't believe that, go back to the Old Testament. I said this maybe somewhere in the last couple weeks when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments. He was gone for a little while, and a little while turned into a little while longer. And while he was gone, all those people said, we've got to have something physical and visible to worship and so they said, Aaron, we need something to worship. And so while Moses is up there getting the commandments, everybody begins, Aaron says, take your earrings out. Take your gold necklaces off. Take your rings off. Give them to me. And everybody brings them in and they make a calf of gold. Why? They had to have something to touch. 
They had to have something to touch. And so there is something about touch, but it's that article of affection that needs to be the place where I understand that I I can expose the enemy when I realize that if anything, say anything, Anything. say it again, Anything. anything comes before your love for Jesus Christ in purity and in sincerity, that is not God. Anything. Okay? Anything. And how many know that there's always things pulling on you for your affection? There's always things pulling. We have to walk in a sincerity. And I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to go over in just a second the two super keys again of this series. But I want to read a story. And I want you to see something in this story of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Say amen if you're there. I'm not going to read the whole thing because of time, but I want to read a few key verses. Verse 1 to 3 says, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now, I'm going to say something real quick before I move on on that because this is important. Do you realize tonight that in this story and ever since, there was always a king over Israel Because the very reason I just said, they had to have somebody or something as an article of affection. It's like this, they couldn't just, it couldn't just be God that would be their king. They had to have somebody in place on the throne that even though he loved God, it had to be somebody there they could look at and say, this is our king. And because the people asked for a king, God gave them a king. And that started from then all the way till now what we have all around the world of government and, and somebody in charge. And if you'll read the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, you'll see over and over again that some would fall in the ways of their father, some would rebel, and it was just back and forth on who was obedient and who was disobedient to the things of God. But it all started, the problem started with the fact that they wanted a king. And God said, Samuel, they want a king? Give them a king. Give them what they want. How many know that God can get to a place where he says, I'll just give you what you want. You want that so bad? Okay, I'm going to give it to you. Go ahead. Here, take it. But when you do that and it's not God and it's not what he wants for you, then you have to live with what you live with. He said, fine, they want a king, I'm going to give them a king. And that started a whole lot of problems. They would have been better off if they would not have asked for a king. Okay, how many know that's true? So there's a spirit behind that, and it goes back to what we saw in heaven with Satan that we talked about Sunday, where he wanted to be equal with God. Anytime we question the word of God, there's a problem in our heart. 1 Samuel 1. So Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me, now, but he sent me because they asked, to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm going to punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now watch this verse 3. This is very important. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy. If you have a pen there, underline that, a marker, highlight it. Utterly destroy all that they have. Okay? Utterly destroy all that they have. How many know all means everything. And it says, kind of a 
emphatic uh, addition, do not spare them. So go in and destroy them all and do not spare them. Now, just for a second, this is what we're talking about tonight. Something in your house, something in your life, something in your marriage, something in your walk, something that's not supposed to be there needs to be destroyed. Okay? Something that's not supposed to be there needs to be destroyed. Something that's not supposed to be in your life needs to be put out. I don't have to give you examples. We're all smart enough to understand what that is. What the Holy Spirit tells you. Holy Spirit tells you. This is not, you don't need this in your life. You get rid of it. How many know we're in trouble a lot of times because we don't obey the Holy Spirit? And then if we don't, if we're not in the right spirit, God says, hey, I want you to get rid of this thing. Or I want you to stop doing this thing. Whatever it is. And, And you begin to say, well... Why? How many of you are already in trouble? You don't need to ask why. Just do it. But what we do is we say, well, why, God? And we begin to question. Then we go looking for somebody who can justify that we should not get rid of this. And you say, you know, God told me to get rid of this, but do you think I should get rid of this? What a dumb question that is. And if you answer that question, you're just as dumb. Amen. If somebody comes to you and says, the Lord is telling me to stop doing this. And they ask you, what do you think? You say, I think you should do what the Lord said. Right. Who are you to go against God? That's why sometimes on the negative side of that, people in ministry and over the years have come to me. And this happens a lot. And they'll say, you know, the Lord's telling me to do this, or I feel like the Lord's telling us to leave, or I feel like the Lord's calling us someplace else, or I feel like when God, when someone says the Lord said, who am I to be involved? Who am I to go against God? Now, at the end of the day, we all have to live with the decisions we make, right? We have to make sure that the decisions we made were God's decisions, and we know that sometimes that doesn't seem to be the case, and we see the end result and what happens. But if God begins to tell you, Go get rid of this. Okay? I'm just going to make a generic example. Let's just say when we leave here tonight, the Holy Spirit convicts you at, at the altar call of some movie you have in your house. Just give an example. A movie comes to your mind that you have in your house on DVD, and the Spirit says, that movie in your house, I want it out of your house tonight. Just an example. I'm not saying you have a movie that shouldn't be there. But God says that Holy Spirit, I mean, clear as a bell. The name of the movie comes and something tells you, go, get, go throw that movie away. That's God saying exactly the same thing that, that God is saying to Saul here through Samuel. Go to Amalek and destroy everything. Go do what I said to do. Just do it. Don't ask questions why, just do it. But you might say at the altar, okay, Lord, I heard that, I got that, I'm going to do that. You get home, you get in the house, you pick it up, and all of a sudden you see the price tag, and you paid 30 bucks for that thing. And all of a sudden, you're not so sure that you want to destroy it. Now, God did not tell you to go home and look at the price tag, and if it was too expensive, don't throw it away. He did not tell you Here's what we do, too. We go, and we get that movie, and we go, oh, man, $39.95. Wow. Well, I was dumb to pay that much in the first place, but, man, I paid $39.95 for this. I can't throw this away. Let me go find some sinner to give it to. Let me go find someone who will watch this. Right? So I can't have it, but let me give it to somebody else. 
Right? Come on. We need to get to the place where we're living our lives. And listen, it's not always that you have something bad. What if God asked you to do something just to see if you do it? Don't we see that in the Bible a lot? Because what does God want of us? Everything. What does he want of us? Our hearts. Our love. Our affection. And so sometimes there might even be something in our life that's not a sin. It's not wrong. It's not demonic. It's not connected to anything. But God says, I see that that's something in your life that's more important than me. And I want to see if you'll be willing to give it up. Okay? Just giving some examples. Because this is what we see here. God had a reason of why he does this. Okay? So look at three again. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and don't spare them. I wasn't going to read this, but we need to keep reading. Go Go down. Verse four. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, let them go down among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul, watch, attacked the Amalekites. He did it. He attacked them. That's like you going and grabbing the movie. You grab the movie. But he didn't just say attack. He said attack and what? And he didn't just say attack and destroy. He said attack and destroy everything. Everything. This is so good. Watch this. So Saul attacked. From Havilah all the way to Shur, which is in the east of Egypt, He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Oops. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So God told you to go home and get rid of the trilogy of the movie he told you to, but you took out one because you thought the first one was the best. Second and third one were bad. Right? So you are going to destroy it, but you're going to keep one. But Saul and the people spared Agag... And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So God says, I want you to go home and destroy all your movies. All of them. I don't want any movies in your house anymore. So you go grab all your movies, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is easy to throw out. I mean, that's, you know that's bad. But, but what? Ben-Hur? Facing the Giants? Whatever. Some movie, you realize God did not say go and just destroy the bad movies. He said go destroy everything, meaning go get rid of everything. So you get home and you start throwing out the bad ones, but there's a good one there. And to your idea, idea, this is a good one, but God said throw them all out. I'm not telling you to go home and throw all your movies out. I'm using this as an example. I'm just using it as an example. But if he says to do that, you do it. Because church, at the end of the day, we're not answering to each other for our lives. We're answering to God. And if you really want God to use you, you have to be at that place where God says, I want you to do that. Amen? Y'all with me? It's just obedience. So verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, 
saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. Look how things are beginning to progress. Not only is he not listening, now he's beginning to act crazy. If you let the devil in a little bit, he's going to come in all the way. He's not there to sit down and drink cookies, drink milk and cookies with you or have tea. He's in your house to kill, steal, and destroy. And once he gets in, listen, have you ever done something in your life that you, even being saved, you said, why in the world did I do that? Have you ever done something you didn't want to do? Yeah, because the devil gets a foothold and he begins to control your life and you don't even realize it. The devil begins to use you like a puppet because you gave him a foothold. Because you didn't obey him on something he told you to do. And he had, he had a great plan behind it. He had a great purpose behind it. He had, he had an awesome blessing for you behind it. How many know that there's a blessing behind obedience? And there's a curse behind disobedience. Blessings come from obedience. Curses and problems come from disobedience. So he rose in the morning. He's made a monument to himself. He's gone on around, passed by, gone down to Gilgal. And verse 13 says, Sam, he went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I did it. Hey, Samuel, what's up? See the monument I built for myself? With the stuff I was supposed to throw away? How many know no matter what you say or how you justify it, if you don't do what God says, you're going to be in trouble. The only thing you can, you say, well, am I doomed because I messed up? No. The only thing you can do now is repent. Recognize and repent. How many know growing up, we learned this the hard way, when our parents caught us in a sin, caught us in a disobedience, good parents would come along and they say, hey. And they'd ask us some questions. And they'd say, something's missing. Or, you know, I told you to do this, and I'm not sure you did it. And they'd begin to ask these questions. And those questions are to give us an opportunity to admit. They're not because we don't know. It's because we're giving you a chance to repent. So that the spanking will be less hard. The spanking will still come, but it will not be 10, it'll just be 5. If you just fess up. Because you still need the spanking. Right? And so here comes along Saul, and he's thinking, Samuel don't know what I did or didn't do. Hey, Samuel, what's up, buddy? I did it. We're good, right? Look at verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen. He says, if you did what you're supposed to do, why do I hear sheep and oxen? Hmm. And Saul says, oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So what we have people doing now 
is taking what we seem to be something that God would want us to sacrifice to him and offer it up to him. When he says, I don't want that. I didn't ask you for that. I told you to destroy that. And now because we're offering it up to him, that's what we do. We, we offer it to the Lord. And so all of a sudden, it's okay. we think that's okay. God says, I don't want that. I didn't ask you for that. I don't need that. I need your obedience. I need to know that I got your heart. I don't need your things. People say, why do I got to tithe? Because God doesn't need your money. He needs your obedience. People don't understand that. God asked us for that because he wants to make sure we love him and are able to give what he asks. People will go around that forever. I'm just the kind of person that says, that if the Bible says 10%, I just, I just okay, 10%. I'm not going to argue the rest of my life and say, well, seven sounds better, or five sounds better, or why this or why that. That's just me. If it says that, that's what I'm going to do. I just want to obey what God said. That's, that's what God's looking for, is not to ask all the questions. Parents, we, we should understand this. If you've been a parent for very long, you, the more you've been a parent, the longer you're a parent, the more you understand God's character. How he deals with us as children. Right? So he goes on to say, you know, I did this for the right reason. Now watch, verse 18. Now, the Lord God sent you on a mission. He reminds him. He says, okay, I asked you. You didn't tell me the truth. Now let's go over this again. He sent you on a mission and said, go, and Samuel knows because he's the one that told him. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are what? Consumed. He says, why then do you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, here we go again. He still doesn't get it. Here was another opportunity, second chance. Man, Samuel, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Here's a moment to repent again. Does he repent? No. Because when our heart's not right, we don't repent. You want to say, am I, am, I doing, am I doing what God wants me to do? Are you repentive? Is your heart sensitive to God's word and to his spirit? Do you do what he says to do? And then if you don't do it, do you feel bad? And do you go and say, Lord, I'm sorry for not listening. That's the spirit and the heart that God wants. But instead of right here, getting another chance, getting another chance to repent and say, you know what, I messed up. He says, but I did obey the voice of the Lord. 19. Sorry, 20. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I've brought back King Agag of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder. So now he starts blaming people. But the people, I, I, I love when people do that because it shows immaturity. Oh, man, they made me do it. When we forget, when it's all said and done, we have to stand before God for our own lives. Please don't ever forget that. You individually at the age of accountability have to stand for, to God for your own actions and nobody's going to be able to pull out the they made me do it card with God. Nobody. Because you are responsible for your own actions. Amen. 
What does this have to do with exposing the enemy? A lot. A lot. Because this is how the enemy works. He gets us to think that we're okay. He gets us to think that we're doing pretty good. See, but we're not, we're not serving a man tonight. We're not serving an institution tonight. We're not serving a religion tonight. We're serving a holy, righteous, perfect God. Holy, righteous, perfect God. Amen. Who wants obedience? So we, we can't be in that place where, well, I'm doing pretty good. No, I'm going to do what God says. He says, they should have utterly destroyed these things, but they wanted to sacrifice them to the Lord, verse 21. Now let's finish right here. Verse 22. So Samuel says, this question, he asks the question, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He says, is that, is that really what God wants? Did God want your sacrifices or did he want your obedience? So we can even be tithing, offerings, coming to church, serving, and not doing it with the right heart. And although those are all good things by themselves, they don't mean anything if we don't do it from our heart. They don't mean anything if we don't do it out of obedience and love. Now, I'm not saying that we don't all have moments where we have to make ourselves come to church and days where we have to stir up the gift within us. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying in general. Don't allow yourself to go weeks and months and God forbid years that you are like Robert mentioned at prayer, being religious and coming to church because you know it's right instead of coming to church because you love God. Amen? There are going to be moments where the devil's going to push you in that direction, but we have to push that off. No, 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 no. Devil, you're trying to make me do this because I know it's right. I'm not going to do it that way. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it because I get to do it. I want to do it because it's a privilege to serve God. I want to do it because you love me. I want to do it because you're amazing and I, you're wonderful. Amen? I'm going to pray because I want to talk to you, not because I need something. I'm going to tithe because I love the church and your kingdom, not because I want something back. Right? So we make sure that we're doing these things out of the love of our heart. And that in itself exposes the enemy. Because that's not his character. That's not his nature. Then he goes to say, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than to the fat of rams. Now watch this. This is what I want to close with tonight because I'm not going to have a whole lot of time. Look at verse 23. It's pretty serious. For rebellion, and what is rebellion? Not obeying. Not taking heed. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I bet we don't look at it that way, but that's what the Bible says. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So if you've ever heard me pray, if you've ever listened to me pray in the prayer room, you'll hear me say almost every time I pray, Father, I bind the spirit of witchcraft. Father, I bind the spirit of sorcery. 
Father, I bind the spirit of divination. And when someone would hear me say that, they might think I'm praying against witches and warlocks. No, I'm praying against the spirit of rebellion. Because that's what the Bible says it is. Divination and, and, and witchcraft and sorcery can be in the church. Now, I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying it can be. And I've told you recently, Pastor Andrews has said, has said it too, I, and I know many of us here in the church today can agree, I don't know the last time we had, if we ever have had, such a peace and such a unity in our church. There's a great spirit in our church. So this is not a condemnation message. This is not a message saying, there's been times where that's been in the church. And this message has been really attacking something that's been going on. Thank God at this moment, I don't feel that. But that can rise up at any moment. It doesn't take long for that spirit to catch on to somebody. And that's why church is so important. That's why reading the Bible is so important. That's why praying is so important. Because it does not take long to mess up. Right? I'm going to close with this idea. I like to try to make you understand what I'm trying to say. Some of us in here, not very many, are super skinny and don't have any problems with your weight. Some of us. But some of us and a lot of us have to really watch what we eat. Right? We've had this discussion before. There, how many just get angry at those ones that, not, not hatred, but just anger, of those ones that just, oh, I wish I could gain weight. I wish I could gain weight. Well, here, let me give you some. I wish I could give you some. I would love to have the problem of needing to get more protein and needing to eat more steak and needing to, you know, okay? But for those of us, mostly normal people, that have problems with issues of weight, if you ever try to lose weight, exercise, eat right and all that, takes forever. Forever. To lose a pound. Right? My, I know I'm talking to some real people here tonight. Some of y'all, some of y'all, just a few are like, oh, I don't know what that means. We're not talking to you. Okay? But, I mean, forever. Six months, a year. Six months to just 10 pounds. Now, I know it's harder for women than it is for men. Right? Six months. Eating right, exercising. How long does it take to gain it back? A day. A minute. I mean, I look at food and gain weight. I just look at it. And it's like, oh. Right? But the point is, that's exactly how it works in the things of God. You can do right for a year. And if you stop doing right, before you even know it, you can be backslidden. Out the church. Divorced. Dead. On drugs. I'm not, I'm not speaking that over people, but it's true. You have to be serious about your walk with God. And understand the devil is not playing games. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have much time. And so you kind of have to relate that thing. And you have to say, you know what? I might have a loss here or there. But I'm going to win this battle. I might, I might have a loss here or there. But I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to finish with God. And I'm going I'm to have all these people around me hold me accountable. 
And when someone begins to slip up, you know, that's, that's why some people don't like our church. Because we're very close. And when someone begins to leave or we don't see them for a while, we're going to blast your phone. We're going to make you know you're missing. And some people don't like that. But those that don't like it end up not coming anymore. And those that like it end up staying and bearing fruit. Because it's called accountability. And that's why the big churches are so popular. Because you can pop in and out and no one ever knows you were there or not. Right? So the whole idea behind this, and I, God took me a different direction. I didn't even get anywhere. <laughs> Literally. Here's my first page of my notes, and I'm right here. So forget that. You're obeying God. But the idea is, we gotta, we got to listen to the Holy Spirit. He's our friend. He's our comforter. Jesus put so much emphasis on that. He says, I'm going to leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. And if we would just listen and be obedient and not second-guess ourselves. Musicians, you can come. Don't second-guess yourself. How many have learned that when you second-guess yourself, you miss it? Because that first instinct, spiritually, is God. Most of the time. And if you'll just listen and obey. I tell my wife all the time, sometimes when it's driving or in a situation... I'll, 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 go, I'll, I'll not do my first instinct and then I'll end up making the mistake and then I'll go, I knew I should have listened to that first thought. That's what God wants us to do because that first thought is usually the Holy Spirit. Saying, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't attach yourself to that. Disattach yourself from that. Obey. Don't disobey. And all these things that, that God wants to speak. So, for those that are here tonight and weren't here Sunday, write this down to close. Pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. You're going to make it? got to stay humble. You want to fall? Pride's the answer. Pride comes before fall. Humble, humble, humble. Humble pie. But eat the humble pie yourself. Don't make someone make you eat it. Don't ever, ever say, God, make me humble. Don't do that. That's the worst prayer you can possibly do. I catch myself. Lord, hum. It turns into a worship song. And then the second verse is, I humble myself, Lord. Lord, I humble myself. Do not ask God to humble you. Because he has ways of humbling you do not want. Humility goes a long ways. And the other one is, Obedience versus disobedience. It sounds elementary, but how many know that the gospel is simple? Trust and obey. Believe that he's in charge, that he's, he's got your best intentions. If God asked you to go home tonight and to get rid of something, he has your best intentions in mind. And I'm just giving that as an example again. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing to go through your house and pray and say, Lord, if there's anything in this house, anything in this house that is an obstacle or even an object of my affection, take it away. Reveal it to me. Amen? Reveal it to me. You know, when we were having those talks, and listen, I want to remind you again tonight, church, Jesus can still come at any moment. Don't let the fact that we're in this quiet time right now fool you. Every day. But you remember when we were having that, that forum and we knew Jesus was at any moment. 
and we know he still can be at any moment. We, but we saw these signs that were happening. We were, we were really searching inside. We were really looking inside. We were really testing ourselves and making sure our hearts were right. Should that stop? Never. Matter of fact, it should get more frequent. It's like, it's like we say you can't over-communicate. You can't over-check yourself. You think God's going to be like, man, you asked me that yesterday. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, check me. God, search me. That's that, that verse that David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. That's not a once-a-year prayer. That's an everyday prayer. Lord, create in me a clean heart and remove whatever's in my life that shouldn't be there from me. That's the spirit God's looking for. How many want to do warfare against the kingdom of darkness? How many are remembering all the things the devils took from you and you'd like to take some stuff back? Amen. We need to be aggressive with the devil. Amen. We need to be, we need to be angry with the devil. Don't let the devil step on you or step on your family. Wage war against him. And remember, it's the devil, not the people around you. Warfare against the kingdom of darkness. I want to leave you with a thought tonight as we close. Christ, listen, remember this. Christ has already won the victory. There's no victory to be won. If the devil's telling you, you got to win this victory, that's not, that's not God. Christ already won it. I read to you on Sunday, Revelation 20. We know where the devil's going. He's going to the lake of fire. And we need to remind him of that. And when he feel like he's beating you up, remind him of that. Say, you know what? You might be getting me for a second here, but I know where you're going, and I'm not going with you. I'm going to be in heaven. So we don't have to win the victory, but here's what we do have to do. We have to enforce it. We have to enforce it. The victory's won, but we have to enforce the victory. We have to use the victory. We have to walk in victory. Because how many know if we had to win the victory, we could never win? There's no way we could defeat the devil. We can't. We can't defeat the devil. We don't have to. We just have to remind the devil he's already defeated. And we have to walk in that. And we have to say what Jesus said. I have won the victory. I sent that verse out a couple days ago. I have overcome the world. I know it's a lot of people's favorite verse or one of your favorite verses. That's a verse you need to remind the devil of. Jesus has already defeated you. Jesus has already overcome the world. And all authority, Matthew 28 says, in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says, I give it to you. Amen? We have a power greater than the power we're facing tonight.